that you may have picked up on in our service through Jared's uh, singing and songs that he picked out. This morning is about grace, God's great grace to us. And grace is simply, this is the simplest definition of grace. God bestowing on to us what we do not deserve. And the Apostle Paul is going to show us that clearly in this text. Uh, this whole book hinges on this one verse. It's in uh, chapter 1, verse 15. It says this, And this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, who I am the foremost. And I want to look at this morning how that's possible. We understand that Christ in His incarnation came into the world to save the world, but He came into the world with one means. And that means is grace. I want to look at five things that we see in this passage about grace. In studying for this passage today, uh, came to mind uh, story after story about conversion. This is a testimony of Paul in this passage. And so as I was thinking about Paul's testimony, I was thinking about many other heroes of the faith. The great reformer Martin Luther tells of his conversion story as he is preparing uh, for ministry. And basically how he became uh, a monk was out of a thunderstorm. As he He's in this wicked thunderstorm and he cries out to God and it throws him into a monastery and he becomes a monk. And then I thought of uh, the great writer C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis tells of his conversion story that he had these multiple conversations with friends about Jesus and about salvation and what Christ would do. And he tells his story that he was on a sidecar headed out of London uh, to a zoo and he, all he knows is when he got to the zoo, he believed in Jesus Christ. And I think of other stories, and maybe you sit here today and I would implore you to think of your own salvation story. I think of my salvation story. I think of this lady, her story. I was uh, on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And we, my friend and I who... Uh, no Spanish, he's from the Dominican, and so he and I were asked to go into this remote village on top of this hill, and, and it took us hours to get there. And then when we got there, we had to cr cross this river. If you know anything about my friend, he is a germaphobe, and I thought, man, this guy's never going to cross the river. Like, this is going to be a nightmare. Uh, but we crossed the river, we went up on a hike, we got to this beautiful uh, landscape overseeing this valley. And yet there's this one rickety house at the top. And we approached the door and knocked on the door. And to her amazement and our amazement, the woman said in Spanish, I've never seen gringos before. I was the only gringo in the midst. It was two Dominicans and myself. And she said this, you must be angels sent by God. I've been praying that God would send somebody to tell me his story. As I think through all of these stories, there's one common th thread that runs through all of them. Martin Luther, C.S. Lewis, yours and mine, the Apostle Paul. It's this one word, grace. We understand grace this morning. You see, the Apostle Paul understood grace. If you turn with me and if you have time this week, go to Acts chapter 
8 and 9. This is who Paul is. In chapter 8, if you know about chapter 8, this is the first martyr of the church. It's Stephen. Stephen is dragged into the city and they begin to stone Stephen for his beliefs in Jesus Christ. And in chapter 8, it says this, there was a young man that took the coats of those who were stoning Stephen and his name was Saul. And then in chapter, that's chapter 7, chapter 8, the very first verse says this, and Saul approved of whose execution? Stephen's execution. And then in chapter 9, it says this about Saul. But Saul still was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, the church. And he went to the high priest and he asked the high priest for a letter from the synagogue to Damascus that if he found anyone belonging to the way or the church that he could bring them back to kill them or to arrest them. You see, Paul's greatest delight before his conversion was to murder Christians. And most theologians say this about the Apostle Paul. There was no greater threat to the early church in its first formative years than Paul. The greatest threat that the church had was one man, Saul, Paul. And now all of a sudden we see in this text that Paul is recounting who he once was. And that's been my prayer for us this week as a church that we would remember where we have come from. You see, all of us, we have to start there. We have to start, where did you come from? You and I are just like the Apostle Paul. But we're more so like Saul before his conversion. We hated God. That's what Romans tells us. We were enemies of God, it tells us. You see, that's what Paul was. He was an enemy of God. That's what you and I are prior to our conversion. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how good I think I am, I'm an enemy of God pre-conversion. And so is every man, woman, and child out there. So I beg us this morning to remember where did we come from? And the Apostle Paul is now going to remind us, hey, this is where we come from, but don't forget who's brought us from where we've come from through His grace. It says this. I just read the text. This is a trustworthy saying. This is the reason Jesus came into the world. To save sinners. That was the mission of God was to send His Son to save the world. It tells us this in Ephesians 2.8. But this is the means by which Jesus came to save the world. For it is by grace you have been saved. The means of our salvation is the grace of God. God giving freely to us what we do not deserve. I'm going to get to the mercy in a moment. But God's greatest gift to us is His Son through the means of grace. And so the Apostle Paul is reminding himself and young Timothy about the grace of God. And he's saying to young Timothy, the whole book about Timothy, 
is this. Hey, you're going to need to guard this trustworthy saying. You're going to need to fight the good fight on this trustworthy saying that Christ came into the world to save the world. You see, what was happening in the church at that time was that they were being infiltrated with false teachers who were claiming there was other ways to salvation other than grace through faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the whole book is about Paul saying to Timothy, hey, guard this with all of your life and guard the church with it. You want to know why there's elders? It's to guard this thing. You want to know why there's deacons? It's to service this thing. You want to know why the church exists? All of the book of Timothy hinges on that one sentence. This is a trustworthy statement, Paul says, that Christ came into the world to save sinners who I am the foremost. And so the means of Christ coming to save through grace is this. Paul is reminded, the first thing is this, he's reminded of the source of his grace. He says this in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ, because he judged me faithfully and pointed me to service. Paul recognizes the source of the grace is from Christ and Christ alone, and he gives great gratitude for Christ coming to save him through grace. There's four things that we see in this text, in the text prior, about what grace does. The first one is this. He's grateful to God for the source of his grace, that it is the electing grace. The elected grace, meaning this, that Paul understood that who called him, who elected him to be an apostle. You see that in the very first sentence. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, of the command of God. He knew that the grace of God had elected him to be an apostle. That it was not a work of his doing to be an apostle, but it was God's electing work on his life through the grace of God to elect him to be an apostle. The second one is this. Not only was it the electing grace to be an apostle, but it was his empowering grace. It says this. I thank him who what has given me what strength. You see, grace not only elects us, but the grace of God empowers us. It gives us the strength to do what God has called us to do. If you're a believer, God has elected you into his service. The promise is this. If he's elected you, he will empower you to go and do the work that he's called you to do. It does not, you never have to rest on your own power to do the work that God's called you to do. But the grace of Jesus Christ in your life will empower you and you will get the strength to do what he's called you to do. That's what, that's what we are here to do here at Powell's Chapel is two things, to know him and to make him known. Therefore, God has elected us and called us to do that. He will empower us to know him and he will empower us to make him known. You want to know the word of God? You want to understand the word of God? It will be through God's strength alone that empowers you to understand it. And it will be his strength alone that compels you to make it known. Not our own. If it's on our own, we get exhausted. And that's what Paul understood. Paul understood, I am in an exhausting work to make the church known all over the world. And it's by the strength of God who's empowered me to be the greatest missionary the world has ever known. He thanks God for that. Not only that, 
Not only the grace of God is electing, not only is the grace of God empowering or enabling, it is entrusting to us. It says this in the passage. How do we know it's entrusting? It says this. He has strengthened me, Christ Jesus, and he has judged me what? Faithful. See, Paul understands it's not about Paul's faithfulness, but it's about whose faithfulness? Christ Jesus in him. He's giving thanks to Christ Jesus. I am not faithful because of myself, Paul says. I'm thankful that God is faithful in me and now faithful through me. Do we believe that to be true? And the last one is this. It is employing. He says, I give thanks to God that he elected me. I give thanks to God's grace for enabling me, giving me the strength to do it. And I give God's strength, our grace, thankfulness to God's grace for entrusting me to be faithful to what? To Jesus. All that flows out of his recognition of who Jesus Christ is in him through the grace that God has bestowed on to him. Paul realizes the source of his saving grace is Christ Jesus and gives him great gratitude. And here's the deal. Here's, I believe, as Paul is writing this, his mind and heart are awakened to this, the need of that grace. And Paul says it. Paul gets caught up in his own story in verse 13. Though, or but, formerly I was what? A blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent of the gospel. Paul is having this awakening, this aha moment, this remembrance moment of who he once was. Wait, wait, wait. God saved me through His grace, but wait, I used to be this. I wonder how often we forget where we come from. If you're here today as a believer in Christ, you had the need for the great grace of God on your life. And Paul understood that. There's no other conversion story in the New Testament that is talked about more than Paul's conversion. Because Paul often remembered the grace of God and could not help to remind people of what he once was. But I don't think he was reminding people. I believe he was reminding himself. And I just wonder, church, have we forgotten where we've come from? No matter where you're at in this story of God's grace, no matter how dramatic your conversion story is, or as you would say, how boring your story is, it's all the same story. It's God's grace on your life. The saddest part is the testimonies that are more crazy get all the attention. But Tennyson, as she comes to faith, I pray she never has the story I had. But she still needs the grace of God on her life just as much as I did. So you do not have a boring testimony. If you know Jesus, you have the same testimony as the Apostle Paul. You had the need for God's grace on your life. He says, this is the need that I had. I was a blasphemer. That is one who slanders God. He uses his words. And not only does he use his words, then he says, it goes from bad to worse. That's what these three words mean. He, he goes in progression. It was just my words to begin with. Then he says this, I was a persecutor. He brought harm to people. So he started bashing the church with his words. Then it says in Acts 9, he murdered people. 
through action. And then he goes all the way to say, and I was a violent aggressor. This denotes both words and action. The, the closest word that we have in our language is this. He was a bully. Man, bullies are mean people. And we have that old children saying, it's such a dumb saying. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. He did both, and words always hurt. And so Paul is remembering that I needed the grace of God in my life because I was a persecutor. I was a violent man. I was a blasphemer. I took great aggression against the church. But this is what Paul says. It was a mystery to me when I was studying it this week. He says this, not only did I need it, not only is he the source of it, but there's a power of grace. What's the power of grace? It's called mercy. You see, grace is getting what we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. You see, Paul understood his need for the gospel and what he understood also, if this is true about me, then there's great condemnation that will come upon me if it wasn't for the grace of God, the mercy of God. You see, all of us in here, the wrath of God is true, and as hard as it is to say this, it is good and holy. If God did not have wrath, God would not be a good God. He would not be a just God. He would not be a God that kept His promises. He would not be a God that is true to His character. And so Paul understood, wait, I do have a gracious God, but man, I better have a merciful God. Because if I did, and I brought persecution, and I blasphemed the, the nature and character of God, and, and I murdered people, I not only need grace from God, I need God's mercy. Because what I deserve is I deserve to be judged harshly for what I've done. But he says this, but I received mercy. Catch the word. It's the word that comes right before mercy. Paul did not say, I went and got mercy. Paul didn't say, I went and bought mercy. Paul didn't say, I went and found mercy. Paul said, what? I received it. Which means it had to be given to him. Which Paul understood. Man, I need someone to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And somebody did it for me. That's what it means to receive something. That's what it means when Jesus, God says, I've given you a gift. A, a gift, when you give a gift to per, a person, they, you give it out of love and it's not out of their, what they've done or not done. It's simply out of your own goodness of your own heart when you give a gift. When, and that's what he was given. He was given the gift of mercy. He had received mercy. See, Paul understands this whole grace and mercy and salvation is not a work of his own, but it's a free gift given to him by God. And we're going to get to the purpose for that great grace that was given to him. But Paul understood the source. Paul understood the need. Paul understood the power that came through the mercy. But here's what he also understood. In verse 14, the measure of which grace was given to him. See what he says in verse 8. And the grace of our Lord 
what's the word he uses? Overflowed from me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He understood that the faith and grace of God came through Christ Jesus. You know what the word overflowed means in this passage? Think of it this way. The greatest example I can give is this. Anyone ever been to Niagara Falls? And ever seen Niagara Falls? That is overflowing water that has been overflowing for centuries. There's there's not going to be a time that it will ever stop overflowing its banks, ever. And the millions and millions and millions and millions of gallons of water overflow Niagara Falls every day. And that is what Paul is saying about the grace of God. The same way that water overflows Niagara Falls, the grace of God continues to overflow into my life. It's not like it hit him once. It's an overflowing of God's grace onto him all day, every day. And again, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, it's a beautiful sight, but it pales into comparison of the overflowing grace of God on our lives. We need God's grace all day, every day, and there's no shut-off valve in the heavenly heavens for you and me on God's grace and mercy. And Paul understood that. And the grace of God overflowed in my life. And now he gets to the purpose of that grace. Remember, he says, this is the trustworthy, trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save the world for whom I am the foremost. That's the statement that we must hang on to all of our lives. But there's got to be a reason for that. What is the reason for our salvation? You see, Paul's going to tell us the reason for our salvation It's not about you, and it's not about me. He says it this way. The purpose and the reason that this statement is so true and so deserving of full acceptance is this. I received this mercy from God for this reason. See that in the text? For this reason. What's the reason for his salvation? What's the reason for your salvation? What's the reason? for the grace of God on our lives. For this reason, that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience. You see, God's saving work and God's grace is not about you and me. It's to put Christ Jesus on display about how patient He is with us. So every time a lost sinner comes to know Jesus, it's a picture of the patience and goodness of God. He says it this way in first in Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. You see, the promises of God are this there will be judgment. That's the promises of God. He says, the way God operates and the way you and I operate, there aren't the same. Thank God they're not the same. Because I want justice, and I want justice now. Am I the only one? And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how I operate. I'm slow in fulfilling my promises. How come? What is my patience towards you? How come? 
not wishing that one should perish. You see the heart of God in that? God is slow to fulfill his promises. That's why this statement is so trustworthy and acceptable. Because through the demonstration of God's love and grace to us and on the Apostle Paul was to show this, that he is patient, wishing that none would perish, but all would come to find him as Lord and Savior of their lives. That's the goodness of God. And Paul understood that. Paul understood, wait, God has been patiently waiting for me to get on the road to Damascus so that he would save me. And then when he would save me, it would show that my story would show to the world, hey, if God can do it for me, God can certainly do it for you. And so God was putting his son Jesus on display about Jesus' patience with the Apostle Paul, not for the Apostle Paul, but for the goodness of who he is. That's the purpose of our salvation. It is primary for the glory of God. It is secondary for our benefit. Let me say that again. Our salvation is primary for the glory of God and secondary for our salvation. So your salvation isn't about you, but it's about the glory of God and that you would be on display to a lost world. If God can do it for me, I promise God can do it for you. That's what Paul was saying. And what Paul is going to point us all back to, and it's our responsibility to point to him back to, is the grace and the goodness of God, not the judgment of God. You see, the church has become so judgmental. No, it's the grace of God. It's what he told us back in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Hey, our aim with the gospel is that we love people, and showing love to people, we give them grace. And mercy is the same that has been bestowed onto us. Therefore, we must be patient with people. So your neighbor that acts like a fool, that doesn't know Jesus, he's going to act like a fool because he doesn't know Jesus. Be patient with him. Your son or daughter who acts like a fool, they may not be a believer, so be patient with them. Why? Because Christ Jesus was patient with you. That's the purpose of our salvation. He says it this way. I love this word in this text. It says, as an example for those who were to believe. That word example means the prototype. It means the model. And all of us are an example to a lost world of what Christ Jesus can do in a lost sinner. You and I are the prototype to what Christ wants to save, the enemies of God. Which leads me to our last point. The grace of God in your life, the grace of God in my life, ought always to lead us to one thing. It's to worship and not of you. We ought never worship our own salvation as a merit unto what we have done. Look what I've done. No, you didn't do anything in your salvation. The only thing that you contributed in your salvation is one thing. It's called sin. That's it. You want to know what you brought to the table in your salvation? That you had sin that needed to be redeemed. That's all that you brought to the table. And then on our gracious, great, and kind king, he showered us with grace and mercy. So again, the only thing you and I bring to the table in our salvation is that we're sinners in need of God's great grace. 
and he does the rest. We just must recognize how sinful we are and come to believe that he has done a work for us that we could not accomplish on our own. But that is only through him awaking our eyes and life and heart to what he is. That's what Paul says. Paul says, hey, I I was ignorant. You see, we think about Paul, we think about this murderous man, this wicked man. But what Paul was doing was was good and right in that day. What Paul was saying, I don't think this is okay. This whole church thing, this whole Jesus thing, that's not what's been taught to me my whole life. And so what Paul was doing was out of straight up ignorance. And it was only by God awakening his life and his eyes and his heart to, hey, this is an ignorance. This is straight up sin. And he was held accountable for that sin. So on the road to Damascus, when his heart and eyes got open, it was being open to his ignorance. But we're still accountable for our ignorance. And Paul says, it's not a work of what I did. All I did was get on a horse and go to Damascus to kill some people. And then Jesus showed up and you know what he said? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? He didn't say the church. Why are you persecuting me? Paul, man, the revelation from the Lord blew his mind away and he fell down in repentance. And we all are like Saul persecuting Jesus. And we need God's great grace on our life, which will always lead to the last point. It will always, our response to God's great grace is what we would call doxology. It's worship. You see what he says in verse 17? To who? The king. He didn't say, hey, to me. He didn't say, hey, to the church. He didn't say, hey, to my mama and my daddy. He says, who? To the king of the ages. He gives four things of who he gives worship to, all the characters of God, to the eternal God, the Alpha and the Omega, to the immortal God, the one who has no end, to the invisible God. That means that God must reveal himself to us. And the last one is this, to the only God, the only true God. I will worship that God forever and ever and ever. Amen. And so, church, my question is this. Have you experienced the grace of God? And do you know the source of that great grace is Jesus Christ, the risen Savior? Do you remember your great need for God's grace? Do you know the power comes through his mercy? Do you know the measure is overflowing and the purpose is not for you, but for Christ to be on display? And that ought to lead us into worship. I've said it time and time again. We ought to have seatbelts on this, these pews to keep us from jumping up and down and going crazy for what God has done for us. Can I get an amen for that? God has saved us while we were yet sinners far from Him. What ought to then propel us to a lost world to tell them of the goodness and the patience of God. I challenge us this this year. This year I've been praying, what, what can we do, God, to bring Your grace and Your mercy to people in this city? All of you ought to, if you haven't, there's a prayer card. I'm asking us this as a way of application for this message, but as a way of application for the year. There's four things on this prayer card. 
And the four things are centered around this one statement. This is a true and trustworthy statement that Christ came into the world to save sinners. So I'm asking us to pray for four things. The four things are this on that card. That we would pray for ten new families to join us here. Just to come into the doors. So they would hear on a repeated opportunity the goodness, the kindness, and the grace of God. And that out of those ten families, that five of those families would come and join our church. And to help us further God's great gospel message to the world. And then out of that, we would see five salvations that five people this year would surrender just like the Apostle Paul did, just like you did, to the great, great mercy and peace of God. That they would be lost, and through this ministry at Powell's Chapel, and through our prayers this year, that five people would surrender their will and their lives over to Christ Jesus. And that at seven people this year, that we'd have seven baptisms that would be obedient to God. Which all that baptism is, is an outward display of an inward transformation. So I'm asking you, put these in your Bibles, put them in your wallet, put them on your dresser, put them on your refrigerator, wherever it is. I know this print is small, my bad, but just pray for these four things this year. And by the end of 2019, I pray that we would come back on that last Sunday and we would see the goodness and the grace and the love of God that he did far more than 10 families, did far more than five families, did far more than five salvation, far more than seven baptisms. But would we be a praying people and beg God to do for others what he has done for us? That's his saving grace. If you do not know Christ Jesus this morning, as your Lord and Savior, hear me loud and clear. You are a sinner apart from the goodness of God. And the goodness of God, He sent His Son Jesus to come into the world to save sinners. And a sinner is this, one who has missed the mark. The mark is holiness. And you and I can never achieve holiness apart from Christ Jesus. But when Christ Jesus comes into our lives, we get marked for holiness, not because of what we've been done, but because of God's righteousness clothed on us in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning, you're a follower and you would say, man, I have wandered. Wander no longer. Be like the prodigal son and come home through repentance. Not as a slave, but as a son. If you're here this morning and you're struggling and you just need prayer, that's what we're here for. We want to be a church that prays. We believe in the power of prayer. Not that that, that chains and manipulates God in any way, but we are coming dependent on God. Our prayer life shows us how dependent on God we really are. So if you need prayer, we are here. Myself, Brother Frank, the deacons, we're here to pray with you and for you and over you. If you're struggling in life, we want to walk every step of this journey with you as a church. That's what the church is for. The church is way more than just to gather, sing some songs, and to hear the message. The church is meant to be an encouragement and a support for everyone in this church that we can go into the war zone when we leave here. This is a safe haven. It's a war. Let us pray.